This week on the Middle Tech Podcast, we take a trip up to Chicago. We are live from the offices of Hunt Club, a tech platform that is turning the recruiting space on its head. We're talking to Nick Chromitis, the co-founder and CEO, about his time as an investor, his time as an entrepreneur, his time as a tennis player, and about the startup scene in Chicago as a whole and what other markets can learn from it. Amazing conversation. It's a little echoey. We were live in the office. A lot going on there. You don't want to miss this conversation. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Nate Antetomaso here in Chicago, Illinois. We have a great episode coming your way. But before we do that, just want to thank you again for listening. We've seen a lot of great traction recently. Let's keep that up. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all of those things that everybody asks you to do. It really helps. So we appreciate all of the traction so far, but keep sharing it with your friends. We're excited to keep growing this audience. You can follow us on social media at Middle Tech Pod or give us an email. Let us know what you think. That's middletechpodcast at gmail.com. So let's jump right into our interview today. I'm super excited to be here at the offices of Hunt Club in downtown Chicago. I am with Nick Chromitis, the co-founder and CEO of Hunt Club. How you doing, man? Doing good. Thanks for having me, Nate. Of course. Thank you for inviting me into the office and doing this with us. Anytime. Anytime. Always welcome. You're here at a, a co-working space in downtown. You just showed me around. We're on the fifth floor. You have a, a fancy water machine, beer on tap. Very fancy water machine in the elevator that doesn't work. So we got a nice workout going up and down every day. <laughs> and then you can hydrate with the water machine. Then you can yeah. hydrate with the bevy machine. Yeah. It's our best, it's our best employee is the bevy machine. Maybe that's just a, a big scheme so the healthcare is cheaper, right? Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Cool. So let's, we're going to get into Hunt Club and what you're doing here in this office. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about, about your background. You know, yeah. Where did you come from? You're from this area. How did you get into tech? Where'd you go to school? All that kind of stuff. Just take that where you want and we'll go from there. Sounds good. So I grew up in Glenview, Illinois, which mm-hmm. is a northern suburb. It's about 13 to 15 miles from central Chicago. And um, and small nice neighborhood great place to to kind of to grow up and and, and family and a big part of my life i don't know if you know this mate was that i played tennis like that was my entire life up until 22 so up until 22 i always wanted to be a professional tennis player Mm so i used to miss 50 to 60 days of school you know a year traveling all these tournaments um played college tennis at vanderbilt university so Mm -hmm. love the south too yeah big national guy yep sec and then, um, and then tried my hand at professional tennis for about one week, <laughs> went to uh, Decatur, Illinois and played in like a minor league tournament yeah. and was there for about seven or eight days, stayed in the Hampton Inn for like three or four with guys, ate yeah. Cracker Barrel and Olive Garden every day uh-huh. and then won my first round. So I got what the equivalent of, um, you know, basically to be ranked as a professional tennis mm-hmm. player, got an ATP point, is what they call it. Okay. And, um, and they wrote me a check for $300. And so for the whole week, for the whole week, and so I think I looked at like the expenses, and I lost like eight hundred dollars from hotel travel. And <laughs> so I quit on the spot and and um, started my foray into business shortly after. Nice. So did you study business in school? So we at Vanderbilt, they have this really cool thing where you can kind of make your own majors or minors. So I got oh, really? a uh, yeah, it's awesome. So I did um, something called corporate strategies, where you blend 
a number of different classes into almost like a business degree. Yeah. And then I actually, I got a communications degree as well. Okay. So speaking and business. Yeah. To, uh, to, to, I guess, skill set. Yeah. That's two good skills to have mm-hmm. as a CEO. <laughs> that Apparently you have to be able to talk. Yeah. Who would have thought? So did you end up down at Vandy for tennis? Is that how you went down? Yeah. I, I mean, I fell in love with the school too. Yeah. You know, my dad's criteria for me was like, you have to go to a good school and yeah, you can play tennis wherever you want as long as it's a good school. And yeah. So really fell in love with the coach, um, mm-hmm. fell in love with campus and the people and and got excited and ended up going. Nice. What did you think of Nashville? Loved it. Yeah. Great it wasn't team. as crazy as it is now. I think the stat last time was 500 people moved there haven't been moving there a day. I heard something like so that. So it's growing like crazy. When I was there, it was a little bit more quiet. I graduated in 2009, but now it's growing like a weed. Mm-hmm. When you walk around downtown there, I mean, you can't go a block without two construction projects. Just like yeah. The real estate market. Well, the Gulch is like that hot area. Mm-hmm. And when I was at school, there was one Mexican restaurant there. And yeah. that was it. And now it's like hundreds of bars, restaurants, yeah. condo developments. It's crazy. Just in the last, what, six months? Yeah. yeah. It's nuts. That's Should have taken part of my tuition and just bought real estate yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> Anything there probably just skyrocketed in value. So, so you went there and you tried your hand at professional tennis and made a, a whopping 300 bucks. Yep. Came back rich. to Chicago. <laughs> Got rich off of that. Came back to Chicago. Um, what was your next step? So my first job out of school, I graduated in the beautiful time of um, mm. May of 2009, yeah. right in the downturn, in the heart of like the depression. So great, the great 2009 depression. Um, <laughs> so I couldn't really get a job. I wanted to get into consulting. Yeah. But it's basically interviewing against people that have three to five years of experience. Mm-hmm. Like I remember going to one of my first interviews. It was at a, it was actually a firm called ZS Associates. I'll never forget this. And I was competing against somebody who had a PhD, um, somebody that had been a three to four year investment banker, and two other consultants with three years of experience. And I was coming in as a tennis coach. So my first job at school actually was I was Northwestern women's tennis coach. Nice. Yeah. So it was crazy. Um, it was really hard for me to get a job, but basically. You know, did the coaching thing for a year, loved it. We won a Big Ten championship and a women's national championship for their indoor tournament. So way more decorated as a, as a one-year women's coach than I ever was as a player. Um, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I went out and basically started building a software platform with our CTO today. Mm-hmm. That was a LinkedIn groups before LinkedIn groups existed, okay. just for student athletes. Okay. So the whole idea was when I came back to Chicago, I tried to get a job. And I reached out to a bunch of Vanderbilt athletic forums and they were all willing to help. So I was like, wow, this is great. We should, you know, start something that, yeah. that helps connect the dots there. And, and did that, built the software with our CTO today, Scott Chasen, and, um, and had two subscriptions. And then I used that experience to get my first business job as a consultant at KPMG in their advisory practice. Nice. So I just sort of manufactured the fact that I had like any actual experience aside from hitting a tennis ball. Yeah, that's really cool. That's, I mean, that time of, you know, this country's history when it was so hard to get a job. That's probably the perfect thing you could do. I think that that's one thing a lot of young people probably don't realize is that the greatest like economic growth in the history of the country has happened between like 2010 and now. So it's like, if you think about anyone that's ever graduated in those periods, Mm -hmm. they only know the good times. Right. And not that like I was 22 and staying in my parents' Drinking beer, like so, it's like yeah. not like my life was a bad times, but it's really hard to get a good job. It's not what you wanted. I mean, yeah. and I had a hard time finding a job when I got out of school, and I had a hard time finding my next job. Like, yeah. I can't imagine it was like that point. But yeah. I think it shows a lot of initiative that you went out and you made that experience for yourself. 
And I think a lot of people should probably do that in general, whether it's good times or bad, whether they can, totally. you know, if they have the, the ability to fall back on another option like their parents, I think it's just a way to really differentiate yourself, teach yourself so many skills that school does. Yeah, I think more, I'd love to, and it's probably a good segue down our own club, but I feel mm-hmm. like more people need to um, figure out atypical ways to create opportunities for themselves when they don't exist. Like, too often following whatever structure's in place to interview or get a job, it's, like, just not really even how the world works, right? It's yeah. it's a it's a process created to create, you know, uniformity and alignment and leverage and all these things. But really, like, people get jobs through trust and networks and, and the right references and, and the right skill sets. So I think it's, you know, I don't always encourage people to, like, you know, try to find their first job or their second or just the job that they really want and do something totally off the page. Yeah. Go bring the company a customer, right? Yeah. If someone wanted to join a company and they said, I got this customer for you and they're going to pay you $1,000 a month for your software, you'd probably be like, oh, yes, you can join yeah. my company. <laughs> yeah. So, Almost be a salesperson before you get in the door. Something, yeah. right? Build a piece, a piece yeah. of software or code or a widget that plugs into whatever company you want to work for his app or hack, use their API to do something. I just think there's so many creative ways that you can distinguish yourself mm-hmm. without having to actually like fly online. Yeah. Have an HR screen, then go meet a hiring manager. Yeah. So let's let's jump into that, and we can touch on everything else that you've done afterwards. But now you co-founded Hunt Club. Okay. Yeah, that's a fun Hunt Club. Period. Yep. Cool. So Hunt Club. We start Hunt Club. The Hunt Club. Drop drop the club. Hunt, <laughs> hunt's cleaner. The Hunt. <laughs> so you're you're revolutionizing the way that recruiting works for a company. Yeah, we're trying. It's um so Hunt Club is a new category of talent company. So we're like basically crowdsourcing referrals from mm-hmm. subject matter experts to help you find your next great hire. So the whole idea is if we're doing a CMO search, a VP of marketing search, we have hundreds of marketing leaders who upload their contacts into our platform. We actually build technology that analyzes the strength of those relationships. Mm-hmm. And then we give our network the easiest way to recommend people who are great for a customer job. So it's it's kind of a, it's an approach that the best recruiters already do offline. Yeah. We've just built a ton of technology to power at scale. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking of this business model is I've learned, you know, in my, what, two and a half years of being in the real world that networking is so important. More important than you ever are taught in school, more important than anyone pushes you yeah. to, to realize and to, to take initiative in that space. You're basically digitizing referrals in that in that way that network do that for recruiters. Is that a good way to say? Yeah, I think we're digitizing trust. Right? Okay. So if you think and about that's gotta be a tough thing to do. Like how do you take such a, a totally. human thing and put it on computer? So there's a couple ways to do it. So what we do is one, we curate everyone that joins our community. Mm-hmm. So when you become an influencer at Home Club, you've probably met somebody in our company. You've met somebody, you've been referred through someone, another person for our actual marketplace. So like yeah. you've had some sort of real human touch point mm-hmm. versus just paying for Facebook ads to get somebody to sign up for a site. So yeah. I think a big part of our secret sauce is we curate every single user that joins our platform. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we can do that is because one well-networked person is really connected to a thousand to two thousand people. Yeah. So we don't need, you know, a Facebook or a LinkedIn size audience. If we get mm-hmm. the right twenty to thirty thousand people across the country, mm-hmm. that gives us incredible coverage over the best people. Yeah, that's really interesting. the The world is a lot smaller than it seems. Oh yeah, when you start to get tiny, kind of scary. When yeah, you, you go to a different country and you see someone that you grew up with around the block or a number of things. Yeah, for sure. So, where did the idea come from? 
So in 2014, I was building a different business called Nico's Ventures, and mm-hmm. I kept getting reached out to by recruiters or headhunters. They kept looking to see who I was connected to on LinkedIn, and they would ask for an introduction. And mm-hmm. I'd be always be happy to do it. I'd say, Nate, Nate, Tom, Tom, yeah. Nate, and I'd shoot it off. Yeah. And you know, lo and behold, I'd place four and five people. So it's, it's, I kept getting emails back from the people that I'd introduced to recruiters. And they would say, you know, Nick, I actually took a new job and I never would have considered it had it not come from you. Yeah. And so that was sort of like the eureka moment um, mm-hmm. where it was like, wow, so someone actually just took a new job because of the social influence that I had over introducing them to something. And then not only that, the recruiter that placed my friend just made hundreds of thousands of dollars for that placement. Yeah. So it just seemed something was pretty misaligned. It, it piqued my interest. So I spent the summer actually studying I shadowed a couple of recruiting firms, yeah. big ones, small ones, um, high-end ones, lower-end ones. I just sort of realized that there's a lot of gaps in the market. Mm-hmm. Almost all these places are entirely manual, so their entire mm-hmm. operating processes are people doing different things. Yeah. Um, and inefficient. It's inefficient. You know, most people like view the space as you know one step above these car sales for the yeah. most part. Like when people think recruiting. If you don't graduate from a great MBA program and say, I'm going to be a recruiter, right? Yeah. Like, no one does that. But I think that's like a clear mismatch of, you know, what's the value of people in the market is. And what I mean specifically by that is, you know, there's nothing more important to the business than it's people, yeah. right? People power everything for the most part, unless yeah. you're true. That's some crazy AI thing where you don't have people at all. Yeah. So the, you'd think the service provider that's providing the people would be a trusted, pedigreed, high integrity, ethical, like... You know, trying to really do things that are different, but I think the challenge in the space is like we haven't gotten to a place where the profession and the function is viewed as a um, really an enabler to a business versus a cost center. And I think that changes in our lifetime. So I think we can hopefully you know set the standard with the way that we do things, the way that we treat people, the technology we build, the power and experience, yeah. and then just the quality of talent we're able to get through trust. Yeah, for sure. So what's in the future for Hotspot? You know, what is the next five years? Just growing. growing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we've got a, we're, uh, we're launching a New York office next month, which oh, I'm nice. really excited about. And then we'll actually launch a third office this year, too. So we're starting to set up in a couple different places across the country. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, really just building and scaling for the market. We haven't invested mm-hmm. in marketing all yet. So no one really knows our story aside from this that touch us in a, in a different way or an experience. To really continue to build our go-to-market team and, and look to really automate as many of the functions as possible that can be, yeah, um, and provide a best-of-class experience for our customers. Nice. So, if you haven't done any marketing yet, how have you grown to this point? No. networking, same thing. Yeah, well, no. sort of. Yeah, it's, it's it's we naturally built some, you know, flywheel with our with our experience for our users. So, if our users are referring candidates. Most of our users in our community are actually hiring managers. Mm-hmm. So as they have a good experience with Punk Club, they sort of think, why don't I use this for our own company? Yeah. And as candidates have a good experience with Punk Club, they then bring us to their company as well. So, yeah. you know, really we've kind of built this organic flywheel. It's allowed us to scale really well. Yeah. And we were fortunate to work with a lot of great venture firms um, as partners that help us build out a lot of their companies. Too. Awesome. So let's talk about venture firms. Because sure. you had mentioned New Coast Ventures. Yeah. That's what you were working on before you started this. Talk a little bit about that, how you started that, what your thesis was with investing with that. And then... Yeah, so New Coast Ventures is a venture studio. So we're investing in startups, incubating our own ideas, and then um, building software for big and small companies. So doing a lot of digital transformation work. Okay. And so 
through that point, investing close to 35 or 40 different companies, um, started three, and then a wide range of different projects. So it really, it, it like sort of came serendipitously with not much of a plan. Yeah. So we built a um, software project for family office. And I've been close to the family much of my life. And we just started talking about problems in Chicago and, you know, how there's not that many young entrepreneurial investors here that are really entrepreneur focused and and care about the person more than, you know, the idea or the business. And we really just are supportive against everything, right? Because, like, starting a business is so hard, you know, it's just, you have to worry about eating dinner and paying your people and getting a product that a customer will actually buy and then more customers that'll buy more of that product than your engineer leaves and you have to figure out how to backfill the engineer that built the product. It's just like, it's a complex thing. So we, we sort of came together and like, we should, we should start investing in companies. And so we had the idea in 2013 and then today we've invested in about 40, 35, 40 different companies and and started a fee as well. Nice. Do you have any criteria that differentiate you from the other? Venture spaces? And Not really. It's more just the people. the people. Like, if you look at the stuff yeah. we've done, like, we invest, it's interesting. So, we invested in a, uh, a camping marketplace. Okay. So, called Hip Camp. They just yes, raised 30 million bucks from uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Mm-hmm. We invested in a, a almost like a TurboTax for adoption paperwork. Okay. So, I think, like, the one pieces that, uh, that I love is just like atypical business, either spaces that traditionally haven't been touched by technology mm-hmm. that are more of a white space. Yeah. Or atypical businesses that like technology has never even thought to be introduced. It's mm-hmm. like everyone, most consumers, not everyone likes camping, but a lot of people <laughs> like camping. Yeah. Um, so to think about like, hey, there should be a marketplace to book camp though. Like that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, or, you know, that 80% of people that actually start the adoption process drop out because of how, yeah, it's so complicated. The paperwork's terrible. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, like I was like, well, that seems like a real problem. Um, mm-hmm. So we, you know, we look for like atypical things that traditionally aren't as um, are more of a white space than uh, than some of the other things in marketing tech, like yeah. HR tech. As as I started recruiting tech company, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So you were doing that full time, and you as you were doing that, people were coming to you to introduce your job and whatnot. Yeah, you just said, what made you make the leap from being a full time investor to now being a CEO? That's very different, and I know you had mentioned you're an entrepreneur beforehand, but that's not usually a path that people then take back the other direction. Yeah, I like operating way more than I do investing. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's I love investing in incredible people that want to build game changing businesses. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's it's I think you can impact way more people when you build a company versus invest in a company. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've got close to sixty people that work at Home Club today. You know, hopefully growing to 100 to 120 by first or second quarter of next year. And you know, you can build a culture, teach, train, care in a way that it's really, really difficult to do as an outsider looking in. Yeah. And so it's not knocking investors. Like I have so many investors that are great friends. I consider myself one, but it's just it's your your ability to actually change and impact somebody um, from the inside, you know, yeah. running the business versus coming from the outside investing is uh is just quite different so yeah. it's, i think it's one of the things i love about like building this business is we have the ability to to build a great culture to mm-hmm. train and teach people incredible things and then my hope is you know, five years down the road we've, we've created a whole new class of entrepreneurs building businesses yeah across chicago yeah i think that's really interesting about your business as well is you know not only are you obviously impacting the lives of the people that work here and are connected to this business but also the people who place 
jobs. Yeah. Like your product has changed lives. Literally. Totally. Yeah. And like, that's the really interesting thing. So a lot of people in staffing and recruiting talk about this because like mm-hmm. you could sell widgets. Yeah. And like our product, our service is literally helping somebody find their next great job that they're excited about, that they yeah. love. And they're, they're thrilled. And you spend more time at your job than you do with your family, your yeah. loved ones, your friends. Like, mm-hmm. So if you're not happy at what you do, like that impacts your life dramatically. Yeah, I can say that from experience. Yeah, so <laughs> I think we all can. Like everyone's yeah. had that job that they just like could not stand and hated. It makes everything else work. Yeah, you come home, you're a miserable person. Like yeah. you've just done, you've been forced to do something for you know seven, eight, ten hours mm-hmm. that uh, you don't want to do. Like yeah. that's not that's not human nature, right? No, not at all. So let's talk quickly about um, the space here in Chicago for, for startup entrepreneurship, um, whether it's specifically in investing or just in the larger space in general. Um, what are your thoughts on the space? What are your thoughts on what other markets that are not on the coast can learn from Chicago? Because obviously this is most likely the, the most developed entrepreneurship space that's in the Yeah. Yeah. So I think... You know, what Chicago does really well is they put very practical frameworks around businesses. Okay. So if you think about like traditionally a lot of the businesses that have been so successful here, mm-hmm. like Grubhub, I think was bootstrapped three or four years before they raised their first round of institutional mm-hmm. financing, right? So they really built software products, proved it with a restaurant, kind of grew it a little bit there. There's a lot of companies that have that kind of core DNA of like starting slow before the ramp yeah. and putting like practical frameworks around like customers and revenue mm-hmm. so i think the, the the negative of that is it takes away from like some of the moonshots right because mm-hmm. like in that same time that grubhub you know bootstrapped until they got their first round of funding and granted this is a totally different decade so it's not mm-hmm. really a fair example you know doordash raised 150 million and scaled yeah. to you know 70 markets right so it's like i think we do we do practical businesses really well we do b2b really well um mm-hmm. You know, I think we've got a lot of the investment ecosystems maturing. So initially, seven, eight, nine years ago, we had two or three venture funds. They were all on their first fund. Most of the funds locally are on their third or fourth now. Yeah. You know, growing from initially three to ten million dollar funds now fifty to hundred million dollar funds. So yeah. I think the appetite from investors is starting to grow here um, to put some capital work in these types of companies. Yeah. So I think we, you know, we've got a lot of really, really good positive momentum. I think the next game-changing thing for Chicago is getting great talent to come here, mm-hmm. great talent to come back to the West. Because if you think about what we don't have, is we don't have people that have seen a company go from like kind of working to a rocket ship. Yeah, like there are very few examples of that locally relative mm-hmm. to the coasts. And um, and in order for like some of these companies that are getting into their seed stage or their Series A to really get to Series B, C, and D and beyond, yeah. they need that type of talent that's seen it and been there and done that. And I think that's why you see the velocity of both some of the East and the West Coast companies, and certainly San Francisco, yeah. move so fast is because the team and the leaders have done it multiple times. Yeah, they know the pitfalls, they know the ups and downs. So yeah, one one concept that we've talked about. A good amount on this podcast is the boomerang, I believe is what it's called. Yeah. You have talent that grows up in the Midwest and the other country goes to the coast, yeah. gets gets experience and boomerangs right on back. And yeah. We do so we you know, I think we're, we're up a point now is Hunt Clubs of the Business. I think we're placing somewhere between twenty to thirty people a month now. And it's mm-hmm. we do quite a bit of boomerangs back and we're seeing people yeah. that are in the West Coast or the East Coast have their first or their second kid, mm-hmm. you know, have some roots. To the Midwest and like no longer want to pay 
you know, four thousand dollars a month for an eight hundred square foot apartment yeah. you know, that is a studio with their kid like living in the corner of basketball. <laughs> so I think you know it's 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 a big trend. I think cost of living in the West and East Coast right now, relative to like the quality of life and the access to so many different things, is is a big driver for coming back. And I think it's only going to continue that way over the next decade.